Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Lars Lynch, I'm here, Creative Income. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Um, this will be the first time I try this. Uh, first of all, I did want to mention that I am recording video now of myself. Uh, not that you need to see my face. It's not a great face. But if you want to check it out, if YouTube's your platform, that's your thing, then head on over to Creative Income Show on YouTube, and uh, and you can watch it there. Um, so anyway, we, we're going to do a little bit different. What I'm going to do is I'm going to break down four different streams of income in this episode um, and then I'm going to uh, have examples from previous recorded episodes on uh, different those four different streams of income. We'll have four different clips from four different guests. So it's going to be a little fun. But first, I wanted to to talk about something just a little bit different. I um, not that this is like a like a imp- life improvement podcast or anything like that. It's not. It's a financial podcast for creatives. But I, I do think that there is something to be said about mental health and, and all that. And I did want to talk about something that my reminded me my daughter and I were driving uh, this this last week to, to Sonic to get uh, a diet cherry limeade, as one does. And um, she was looking at her, she's four years old, in the back, she's looking at her window and she's kind of just in this daze and, and all of a sudden she sighs this big deep sigh and she says, oh, Dad, why can't everything be beautiful? And and I thought, do I go there? <laughs> do, I, do I try to talk to this four-year-old girl about why everything can't be beautiful? And I tried. I, I said, well, you know, think about it like this, LaRue. If everything was beautiful, right? If everything were flowers, she's really into flowers. Uh, the car was flowers. The street was flowers. The house was flowers. Your room was flowers. Everything were flowers. Then you wouldn't appreciate flowers. You just wouldn't, right? If everything was beautiful, if everything was perfect, then you would have no appreciation for anything. It would just be bland. And I deal with this a lot in in my industry uh, as a cinematographer. I, I like to think of contrast that way, right? So contrast is relationship between the dark and the light areas. Uh, and I think as artists, we can, we can apply this many, 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 many ways. But essentially, the thing that makes an image beautiful is the relationship between the highlights and the shadows. Uh, and the same is true with life right? Now we're getting deep. Now we're getting into the, the nuts and bolts of, of uh, <laughs> I don't know, nuts and bolts of something. But think about it like this, all right? You've got some months that are just perfect, right? And, and we could apply that financially. Some months where the phone just doesn't stop ringing, you're working all the time, your investments are doing great, and everything is awesome, right? Those are your highs. Now, if it were like that all the time, I think, I'm not entirely sure, but I think you wouldn't appreciate it. It would get kind of boring. And I think it would start to feel like a grind, right? You're just making all this money and you're just not taking time off to appreciate whatever, you know? But then you have months where the phone doesn't ring and the investments tank and you've got these low lows. And in the moment, it can be really awful. Uh, but it's it's how we respond to those moments of elation, of wonderful excitement when the phone is ringing constantly and we're taking all these jobs and making all this money and we're having fun with our families or whatever. Like it's, it's that relationship between how we deal with those dark times and the, and the good times that I think make life beautiful. So next time you're going through a tough month and you're just not working or things aren't working out for you, just try to just sit back, 
take a deep breath, and remember, contrast. It's there for a reason. You're going to get through it. You just got to keep hustling. The phone will ring again. You will have work again. And and things are going to go back to normal. I promise you. Um, and also on the flip side, when the phone is ringing off the hook and you're just making tons of money and things are wonderful, sit back and appreciate it, man. Talk to talk to your significant other. Talk to your friends and, and just let them know how much fun you're having, uh, how much you appreciate the good times and then, and then reflect upon it as you're driving to work or whatever in your Los Angeles traffic or wherever you're driving, uh, that how much things can be great and, uh, and, and don't take advantage of those good times. All right. Anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's, let's get on to, uh, today's episode. Um, I, I'm, tr- well, I'm trying to think, do I have anything else I wanted to say? Um, reviews are slowing down on iTunes. We're up to 31 reviews. Um, I don't, I would love it if you guys jumped on iTunes, if you're getting something out of this podcast um, and, and left me a review there. Um, it's, it does help the algorithm of the podcast get found, especially that in sharing. Um, if you feel so inclined, we have a lot more listeners now. There's a lot more of you that came over from, uh, from different episodes. So welcome. Uh, I'm really happy to have you guys. Uh, I love teaching. This has like a, been a very um, beneficial experience for me. Um, and I know it has been for you too, because I keep hearing about it. Um, so if you, if you would feel so inclined, uh, go ahead and head on over to iTunes and, and rate the podcast. If you aren't having a good time, if you think that there's things that I should improve on, let me know, leave a review. If it's two stars, it's two stars, man. It's up to you. And, and let me know what we can do to improve it. Um, and then share if you're, if you're getting something out of it, I, uh, social media, shares. There is no better way to spread the podcast around than social media shares. And a lot of you have been really good about it. Most of you are my friends. <laughs> so uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Um, for those that aren't my friends, uh, I would love to find out about you. Go ahead and, and share the podcast. Tag me in it at uh, either jlarzell on Instagram or Lars Lindstrom on Facebook or Creative Income Podcast on Instagram. And uh, let me find you that way, and I'll and I'll follow you right on back, and we'll have a great old uh, time together. Um, so anyway, so that's enough of that about that. Let's uh, let's jump into two, the four different streams of income as I see it. Um, first one is a little bit obvious. It's to make more money by trading your time for dollars. Right? Very simple, straightforward. You go to work, you have labor, they give you a paycheck, you go home. All right. Second way is to invest. You can invest in stock market, uh, venture capital, cryptocurrency, if that's your thing. Any Dogecoin fans out there? Did I tell you I, I did Dogecoin? <laughs> Not as a serious thing, of course. I think I put like a thousand bucks in the Dogecoin. They pumped it up. I made $2,000 profit. So it was like 3000 total cashed out. And I'm one of the lucky ones. But actually, I think it's booming right now. By the time you listen to this, it'll probably be tanked. So who knows? Don't invest in Dogecoin on my suggestion, please. It's not backed by anything. There is no cap on anything. It's simply a joke and it's hysterical to me. That's why I put some money in it, but uh, don't take my word for it. Um, uh, but other cryptos, you know, if that's your thing, if you do your research, could be a thing. Who knows? Um, the third way to generate income and probably my personal favorite is to buy assets. So an asset is anything that makes you money that you don't physically have to be a part of uh, very much. 
so I own camera equipment. As you all know, I own camera equipment. I have uh, two um, grip and electric lighting vehicles um, that uh, that generate income. And that's my passion, right? I'm a cinematographer. Like Cameras are my thing. Lighting is my thing. And so for me, it just made a lot of sense to invest in what I knew that I would be using. Uh, and in times where I'm not using it, we talked about those lows, you know, uh, my March, for example, um, other people are renting it. And it's generating income simply by existing. And I don't have to be there physically. I'm not trading my time for dollars for those assets. Uh, other assets are real estate. Um, uh, the episode that I'm going to share is with Mike Miller was episode number two. He invested in tons of real estate. And uh, even though he had a really great business that he was a 50, 50 partner on um, as an editor and director, uh, in the episode that we're going to listen to, he actually mentions that he thinks he probably made just as much money owning real estate as he did his entire career at MJBP. Anyway, so that's a, that's a fascinating story. We'll get to that uh, when, I, when I share Mike's episode. Um, the fourth and final way that I think is something that I need to be better at, and I think a lot of us could be better at, um, is to spend less money, <laughs> which... Sounds really dumb, right? But that's that is actually a very effective way to save money. So if you can spend less and have more money as a result, not only let's say let's say for example, you find out a way to cut out five dollars. Let's say you call AT and T and you say, you know what, I'm paying too much for my phone service. Can I get your customer retention department? They say sure, and you end up saying saving ten dollars a month on your phone bill. All right. And, but you do that across the board with all your utilities and everything, and you get everything down 100 bucks a month. That's $1,200 a year now that you have more of. The fascinating part is if your income stays the same, your taxes don't go up. So if you made more money, if you made $1,200 more uh, by spending your time for dollars that year, you would owe taxes on that 1200 Now, if you simply call your um, you know, customer retention hotlines, for all your services and you save $1,200 a year, you don't pay taxes on that. You pay the same taxes you did the previous year, right? If you make the same amount of money, but you have $1,200 more in your pocket. So that's actually an incredibly useful tool. If you can, and I did that um, a couple years ago for every single one of our monthly services, I called, asked for customer retention, and I was able to talk everybody down at least 20%. I was amazed, actually. Like my, my internet, we were paying something like $99 a month for my internet. And I, and I ended up getting it for something like $45 a month. It was crazy. All I, and, I, and, and maybe this is, I mean, you guys can judge me if you want to. That's fine. But um, I would wait to get like a, like I was using, I had Frontier um, for my internet. And then I got a letter in the mail from Spectrum. And they were like, hey, introductory $45 a month, blah, blah, blah. So I called Frontier and I just said, hey, I just got a letter from Spectrum and this is sounding really enticing to me. I'm not under contract with you guys. So I think I might take this deal, you know, unless you guys could do something to match it and you'd be surprised. Most of them will just go, sure. I did the same thing with ADT, my security uh, company, called them up and said, you know, I was looking at the Simply Safe stuff and they're doing 15 bucks a month. And they said, well, you're at $42 a month now. Why don't we get you down to 27? It's like, Yes, half. That sounds great. Let's do it. Anyway, I was I was just amazed at how how willing the customer retention hotlines were to work with you to get those numbers down and to to make it so that it made more sense. And I saved more money that year. And I think I continue to save money because of that. Anyway, try something like that. Um, 
So yeah, let's uh, let's jump into these little snippets of episodes. I want to start with uh, uh, making more income. The, f- the first person I want to uh, play a clip from was episode fourteen. It was Cole Walliser. He's, um, I mean, I'm, if you don't know him, you, you just type in Cole on Instagram and it'll fill in Walliser. I'm positive he's got like when I recorded the episode, he had one point four million followers. Uh, at at like now, actually, let me look at look, let's look it up. Ba ba ba, Cole. Walliser, he has 2.2 million. I released that episode a month ago, you guys. Think about how crazy that is. In a month, he had 600,000 new followers on Instagram, simply by doing what he does best. And he's going to talk about that in this uh, in this little snippet. So here we go. But it wasn't until 2017 that I started to look into the future on what the world of media and social media was going to be. And it was very clear to me that we were we are only moving more in that direction. We're only moving more online, more digital, more social media. And I was kind of like, okay, in 2017, you know, I'd already I'd been in the DJ for a, a few years. I had my career as a director. I've done a bunch of cool music videos and short content things or whatever. And I and I was confident in my career. I was like, okay, I, I could ignore social and I feel like I would still work and I would be fine. It wasn't like mm-hmm. I was getting any percentage of my jobs through social. But I sort of, like I said, looked to the future and was like, okay, where are we going? And I realized that it was inevitable that we we're all going more online. And I said to myself, okay, I could either do this now and like really pay attention and really incorporate social media as an aspect of my career. Or I could do it in five years when I'm way behind the curve and I'm forced to do it. Cause like, it's going to happen no matter what. Well, wow. And so in 2017, I made the conscious choice to incorporate social media as a facet of my career and spent time on it like I spend time on other facets of my career. And and it has paid off uh, in multiple times over for the effort that I put I'm into sure. it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you how did you build that audience? I mean, what kind of content were you, were you putting out there? How did you know at first how to get people's attention? Uh, it was uh, it was unclear, and I still think it is. It still is a little unclear. I mean, I got I got lucky with this thing that I direct called the Glambot, mm-hmm. which is inherently like the perfect short form viral video content. <laughs> um, yeah. But I sh- I should say that like it took me a couple years to figure it out because I started directing the Glambot in 2016, but it wasn't until mm-hmm. 2018 2019 that I understood how to make content to capitalize on that job. Like I was doing the Glambot for two or three years before I figured out how to make it be cool social content. And then it, then I started doing it, you know? So it wasn't my idea. Uh, I right, just which, I, which I think is really fascinating. And I actually love that it wasn't your idea. I mean, it's, it's whatever. But um, what I love is that you figured out a way to take something that someone had hired you for, right? And it could maybe your day rate, you know, it was like a few thousand bucks a day or something like that. But, um, but what you were able to do was figure out a way to put the content onto those social platforms and build an audience that way. So talk to me about how that came about. Cause you said you were doing it for two years before you were really able to, to go, Oh, I have an idea. Let's, let's build my own audience here. So talk to me yeah. about that. Yeah. So, you know, the first couple of years I was doing it and I would like post the finished glam bots on my social and be like, Oh, I directed this thing, uh, you know, with the stranger thing kid or the stranger things kids and, and you know, uh, wh- whoever else I was directing back then. And sure. I was like, I always, I always felt it was cool, but like, you know, it wasn't really getting much attention. Like 
mostly because E was putting out the same clips and like they had all the stuff on their feed. And so like, I'm just in some sense reposting their same content. It wasn't, there was no draw really. Like it made people aware of that. I was the guy doing it, but like, nope, I didn't get any extra attention on my social because I'm like making the same content. Right. Yeah. At one point. So I, I, you know, and I, and I kept thinking like, this is a really cool job. Like I'm directing all these different big celebrities, like these A-listers, like I'm shooting like 20 or 30 in a day. I have all this cool content. And I was like, nobody really cares. You know what I mean? Like it's not really doing anything for my career. Right. Yeah. I was like, I always felt it was cool, but I was like, I don't know. Like the awareness isn't really there for what I'm doing. Right. And then, so at one point it might've been at the Oscars in 2018 and Jackie Chan came up and like, I've been a huge Jackie Chan fan forever. And so there's a, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of people that work on the glam bot. We have one producer that's sort of with me at all times. And so I handed her my phone. I was like, Hey, can you get a couple of pictures? Or like, maybe I'm going to ask Jackie for a picture. Can you just like be ready? Uh, because I'm a big fan of his or whatever. So she ended up taking a bunch of BTS stills. I didn't never had it. I didn't, I didn't have enough guts to ask him for a photo, <laughs> but she ended up yeah. taking a bunch of BTS stills. And I think she did a BTS video just filming the process a little bit of like behind the scenes of what that went on. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think I ended up handing her the phone a couple times for some of the bigger celebrities. Cause I was like, Oh, this is so cool. Maybe it was my first Oscars. And I was like, Oh, this is so awesome. Like I need to super document this for my own. Yeah. For my own. Yeah. Super cat. Right. Just, just first Oscars. Yeah. Oh, it was my um, first, my first Oscars. Yeah. Look at yeah, that. Yeah. Totally. But I, I think I handed her the phone a couple times and then I was coming home and I was like going to go post the normal glam bots that I post. And I was going through my phone and I was like, oh, I have all these cool behind the scenes photos of like me and Jackie Chan. And I was like, and I have this behind the scenes video of the glam bot. Now, if you don't know, so the glam bot, it shoots, you know, we shoot a thousand frames per second. Uh, the the real time duration of shooting a glam bot is literally one to one and a half seconds. It's so fast. But when we slow it down and post, um, it is this really like drawn out epic sort of clip. And I usually get talent to do these cool big actions. So they're like moving in slow motion and it feels like a natural dolly in movement, but it's just super slow motion and super epic. So I was really surprised at seeing, you know, the behind the scenes where it happens in an instant and then you see the result and it's like this super drawn out thing. And I think I was posting, I started posting those together just cause I had the media and then it just dawned on me. It's like, this is really cool. Like what I should is like, this is what I should be doing. Like this before and after. Right. Thing. Cause the finished, the finished product is, is still cool, but there's like, there's, there's something really just neat that you kind of see how fast the arm is moving. And, and even you, I think you've got this really amazing personality too on camera where you're, you know, like you, you've got this beautiful hair and you're always dressed up nicely and you're always kind of fun to, you know, it's like nice energy. And uh, there, there is something about that behind the scenes experience. So, so yeah, I think you, you really nailed it on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're totally right. And it was, and it, yeah, it, it surprised me because I always thought it was so much more just the process of it all and seeing the talent. But I mean, a, a lot of people sort of touch on what you just mentioned is like this, this personality-ness to it where I'm interacting with these celebrities in a really fa- fun, kind kind of manner. And that's a, that's a draw. So I think there's a lot of little aspects, but essentially I started filming behind the scenes and then making just that the BTS moment of me directing and then the final product. And that, that bit of content was the thing that really just launched my career to the next level. Cause they, for whatever reason, they're super viral and 
people watch them until the very end because you have to see the result. And my socials pretty much exploded after that. Welcome back. So obviously, the the part that I take away from that is is that Cole was able to by hustling, by working hard, figure out okay, there's this this disconnect, right? I'm posting the same videos that E is posting and it's not really doing anything for me. Even though it's Brad Pitt or Katy Perry or whatever, it's not really growing like it should be. But as soon as he introduced a personal element, uh, which was himself, into this video, that's when it really took off. So I'm so happy. He's got a TV show now on Hulu called Exposure. So man, that guy, he just like, he follow him on Instagram and check out his stories. He never quits. So Cole, here's to you, man. Just uh, love what you're doing. All right, moving on. Uh, the next money maker is invest. Investing in either the stock market or venture capital, cryptocurrency. We talked about all that. And the uh, the little clip that I have is from uh, episode number three. It's composer Chad Raymond. And uh, he's, he's talking about some interesting things there. Let's listen to it. I'm constantly looking out on how can I capitalize on my IP, on my intellectual mm-hmm. property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the amazing things that happened at my master's program is one of the first days we put up just, it was a huge whiteboard. And, and the question, the first question that they ever asked us is, how do you make money off of music? And I thought, oh man, I got this. Like I had like seven or eight things and we had over 70, 75 things up there. And I was looking at that list thinking, this is why I need this class. This is why I need this master's because I don't even, sometimes it's the whole, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, there was all these opportunities that hadn't even crossed my mind on how to capitalize on an asset. And I had to start looking at my music as it's an asset and I need to be able to get it out there and it's if if it's sitting on my shelf, it's not making money. So where are the avenues that I can put it? And sometimes it's super random Eastern European (laughs) magic shows. Like, you know, you just never know. (laughs) Okay. Let me, let me ask you this now. Um, now that you're making money, you're doing well, uh, money's coming in, you got 75% uh, royalties. Um, are you, are you, what are you doing to keep that money? around? Are you investing it in different things? Are you doing uh, real estate or stocks or anything like that? Something that's growing your money? Yeah. So um, my wife has her own business as well. And so what we both do is one of the best things I think we ever did was we each set up our um, SCP, which is our individual IRA. Yeah. yeah, um, IRA plan. And the reason I like that is, is um, twofold. As opposed to 401k, where which isn't applicable to us anyways, because we don't have access to that because we don't have an employer. Mm-hmm. It's completely, it, it's self-directed. Like you can, you know, you can just get invested ETF, in anything. Yeah, right? you can get individual stocks, ETFs, index funds, whatever you want. But what I love about it is you don't have to make those contributions before the end of the year, right? You, you can, can back, you can back, back rate it. Exactly. You can do it up until you file your taxes. So what I love about it is if we have a great year, our CPA will come to us and say, okay, you either got, you guys had a good year and you either have to pay the government X amount or just put this much more into your SEP. And And, and it it grows into retirement and you pay taxes on it when you retire. Yep. Yep. And so it's kind of a no brainer. It's like, oh, I can give, you know, I can give what 10 grand to the government or I can, you know, write a check to myself 
essentially for this much money. Um, And so for us, that's been a great way to kind of offset good years. Yeah, man. I just think that there's so much tax advantage stuff that uh, I can't wait till we get a CPA on the podcast um, to kind of break down some of those things. But uh, what he said about, you know, essentially writing himself a check when he kind of is able to, at the end of the year, go through his finances, see where he's doing good, see where he's doing not so good and say, you know what, instead of owing a bunch of taxes this year, let's just write a check to the, uh, our IRA account, SEP IRA, and, uh, and we'll have that money in retirement. So that's a really fast, especially as freelance, because your, your money fluctuates so much. Some years are going to have a lot of money and you're going to need to put some of that in towards like something like a SEP IRA to offset some of those taxes. Other years you won't make as much. And so it would be beneficial not to put as much into a SEP IRA, maybe a Roth IRA perhaps, where it goes in tax, uh, already taxed because your tax bracket is lower that year and then grows tax-free. Um, Anyway, so yeah, it was really fascinating. I loved I loved listening to uh, Chad's episode. It was episode number three. Now, the next one is to buy assets. We've had a lot of guests on the podcast that have bought assets and done really well with them. I'm one of them. Uh, that's like my bread and butter is my camera and grip and electric trucks. Um, the episode that I chose to focus on was Mike Miller. I already mentioned it. Uh, episode number two. He is a 50-50 owner of MWP, an editing house, a post-production house. They also do a lot of directing now. Um, but he owns a lot of real estate, a lot of single-family homes and, and multifamily homes in uh, in Southern California. And he's done very well with those investments over the last couple of decades. So here we go. I personally think, and I'm going to project a little bit on you, but I think that you were interested in real estate because it was something that you had more control of. Total control to the point where I bought one property out of state and that property went bad on me Hmm. and I bought it with a family member and that went bad. And so I was advised never to have something property in that you couldn't drive by at night and check and tuck it in and, 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 uh, opportunities have come up that way. And I, I have, I, I, I no longer buy any money that I can't control or property that I can't control. I like to be close by, and and I advise I advise people not to. I I had a niece who rented a little place, and she went out of country. And two months later, she's calling me, and she says, "I have renters who aren't paying." And it's like it's tough to evict when you're not even there, mm-hmm. and it's just tough. It's tough. My dad did that a couple of times, and that's why he did not like real estate as much as I did. And you you do your own property management. We do. Which for, I think is rare for- It is. Yeah. It is. And I don't know if I'll always do it, but because mm-hmm. um, eventually I would, my wife right now says, when are we going to enjoy <laughs> some of these, some of the uh, fruits of Fruits of, our of labor. your labor, your 30-year labor. And I, and I, I actually, um, I'm going to start listening to her more. And I don't mind. Smart man. But but I'm lucky to have had a daughter and a, and a son-in-law to have had a little property management experience. And I'm, I'm hoping that I can kind of keep that in the family a little bit because I, I'll, feel, I'll feel better about pay, paying a manager who feels about the property almost as much as I do yeah. rather than looking at it as though it's just a business. So um, I'm going to try to do that. But um, it's interesting that uh, even with the heyday and everything, I, that, that the investments in real estate have been almost equal to what, 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 yeah. What, what, we, what MWP's uh, done. Yeah, yeah my, what I've done on, on other sides. That being said, I probably, had I stayed a DJ and, and stayed working the weddings all these years, yeah. I probably would have made more money. No, you wouldn't. Because <laughs> I would have had 
50 DJs working under me or something. Sure. I never thought that yeah. business would take off. I mean, my gosh. It, even even the video part of it. Oh, who, yeah. Who would have thought someone would pay $10,000 for, for a, video? a wedding video? Nev- never. Yeah. Never. So that would have been part of it. We would have done, you know. The we, whole thing. The, 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 the photography the, and video and, and DJing. The food. And the food. And the, and and the, the chairs and the tables <laughs> and the whole nine. So that being said, it's like, it's like and, that's, and that's the thing is that I knew when I first started in the business, I started at the lowest. I, you know, I, 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 I worked for free to get the opportunity, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. Uh, I think people, you know, think it's beneath them, but it shouldn't be. If if you really, really, really want something, you'll find a way to do it, or you'll find an excuse not to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you're finding excuses, I don't think you really want it enough, or it's just not the right. It's just it's, it's not right for yeah. you. So, so. Um, I, I just I just do uh, believe that that it'll happen for you if if you if you really want uh, enough and you'll find a way you'll find a way. Do you consider yourself a lucky person? Very lucky, and the harder I work, the luckier I get. All right, now let's move on to the final money maker, which is spending less, right? And I this is an important one for creatives because it is feast and famine. How many times have I said feast and famine on this podcast? Probably too many to count. I don't even know, right? I've got 18 episodes, 19 with this one, and I just said it twice. So I'll say it again, Feast and Famine. Uh, it's probably 100 times now on this podcast because uh, there's going to be great months, great years, and bad months and bad years, right? And so figuring out how to keep your expenses low not only helps you with your income that you are making uh, to pay less taxes, but it also keeps the overheads low so that you don't get into trouble when you have a bad year. So we are going to listen to JP Morgan. He was episode number four on the podcast. Uh, talk about some of his highs and lows of his 30-year career. And I and I really just absolutely love what he has to say in the entire podcast. We're good friends. And so it was, it was a lot of fun for me to have him on. But um, this little snippet too, you're going to really enjoy. So here we go. Talk to me about some of the, the feast or famine mentalities of, of our industry. And, and how to kind of cope with that stuff. So obviously you had some amazing years. You talked about a $150,000 photo shoot, you know, for a computer company. And I'm sure there were multiple that year. Talk to me about some of the, some of the good years versus the bad and what you were able to do to try and smooth that over. You know, I always work, we always had more than one stream of income coming in. Uh, we mm. realized very early on that stock photography was emerging you know, it used to be stock photography was really bad pictures of really dumb things, you know, that, but then all of a sudden stock photography started to look a little more, uh, advertising. It looked a little more polished. And so we created a catalog. We printed up a catalog of all of our images that we had shot for ourselves. And we mailed that out to all the art directors. And all of a sudden we had a big income coming in from stock photography. We we're selling our own stock photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would, uh, we're always looking for different things to do because no matter, I, it, it's such a weird journey because you never arrive. And if you do <laughs> arrive, if there is a peak, uh, you don't see it till you're on your way down. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's That's true. tragic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can look, I see the peak now of the nineties, late nineties yes. into the 2000. Yeah. I, I can see it now, but at the time I thought, well, why isn't everyone still doing this? I, I should be doing this forever. You know, but wow. no, it wow. was the peak. And, and I think creatives have a tendency to hold on to their, the direction and the way they do things too long because they find out, you know, that's they, they have to hit the bottom. It's almost like uh, when you have an addiction, 
<clears throat> they have to hit the bottom and I'm just plain not making any money and I'm going to lose my shirt. And so I've got to, I've got to change something. And unfortunately for a lot of creatives, that's the decision they make and that's how they do it. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever uh, hit the bottom? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had had a, a two picture deal at, at Warner brothers working on getting a feature done and, uh, in just like one day, the door opened and a messenger dropped a box of stuff uh, at the bottom of uh, the, the steps where I had my office. And I went down to look at the box and it was all my materials from my agent that it was carrying me for doing uh, feature work. And my agent dropped me the same day. Uh, I had, hadn't had any steel work for several weeks. And then 9-11 wow. happened right after that. And then I got sick, which was a whole nother story. And uh, it just, it was probably the worst few years of my life. There's no doubt about it. Um, I should have let my space go sooner than I did because yeah. people weren't shooting on stages anymore. Uh, the, the guy next door to me was really a smart, he was a photographer, had a great business going. He was shooting for Macy's, making a ton of money. And uh, he came over one day and said, yeah, I'm moving out of my space. And I'm going, really, why is that? Because I lost my client, Macy's. I said, really, are you going to try to get other clients? He goes, I hope so, but... Uh, I'm shutting down my space. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, you lost one client? You're shutting down your space? Yeah. But it was his biggest client. It was his major income. And he wasn't going to let himself fall into a deep hole with a lot of debt. you know. So he got himself out of his space, went and looked for more work and, and started doing some other things. And so he made an immediate decision that I'm way too slow about that. I, you know, I sat, sat in that huge space, you know, 4,500 square foot studio space. Uh, yeah, I was it's in. over in the uh, the brewery, right? The yeah, art, at the, the brewery. Huge space. I loved yeah. that space. It was just a big workspace, and it was so beautiful. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Loved it. But I held on to it too long, paying that rent for way too long. Yeah. So, so, so what other um, – what helped you survive that time? You know, it was the other streams of income. If we didn't have stock photography, uh, I had – I did a, um, a – a, cartoon for a while. I had a single panel Sunday cartoon with my images and uh, that made some money for a while. Uh, commercials started to work. So I started to do a lot of commercial work, uh, directing. And then eventually when the whole uh, Mark, you know, two uh, that came out from Canon. 5D, uh, yeah. 5D yeah, Mark II. 5D Mark II. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden I'm going, you know what? I don't need all these huge cameras. I don't need all these huge crews. Um, I can do a little more guerrilla style stuff. And I had always been stuck in this mentality of, well, I want a big job and I want that big job to pay me, you know, 10 to $20,000 in creative fees and usage fees. And that's how I make my living. You know, I don't yeah. do little jobs because little jobs um, are just they're they just too much. They take too much time. I don't make much money. And the guy who bought my house um, several years back was a, a friend. I knew him. He was a creative guy. He's a director. He used to be a producer. And he was shooting at about fifteen hundred dollars a day. But he was shooting 15 days a month. Oh, wow. You know, and so yeah. uh, and I, I looked at that and I'm going, wait a minute, he's making a super good living, you know, uh, because $1,500 a day. Plus, then he does editing afterwards if he's doing film pieces and I'm going and he's super busy and he's I can't say he always has 15 days a month. But the, the concept of you don't have to charge a fortune, but you have to find a good place in the market where you can charge a good, good rate 
but then you try to work as much as you can. And in that, you can make a Isn't really- that the, the opposite, though, of, uh, of as you get older and more experienced, shouldn't you be charging more and more and working less and less? <laughs> you know, I, it's fascinating because the creative industry is like any industry. There's Tom Cruise and then there's everybody else. Oh, so you're not Tom Cruise? No, no. Why are you on the podcast, man? Why, why am I interviewing you? We should, get Tom, we should get Tom Cruise on this thing. So I snuck in here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a matter of in my day, I was super uh, well known. Everyone knew my work. You know, you were at the top of your game, but it's hard to hold on to that. Every creative person, whether it's an actor or it doesn't matter who it is, every creative person faces this renewal of your career problem constantly. You have to reinvent yourself, recreate yourself and move ahead. And and some can do it and stay on top, you know, and others can't. And so it was a lot of lean years making those transitions. But well, I made a couple yeah. of great transitions. And, you know, looking back, I mean, always been able to sustain our family and bought a nice house, California, I guess. I always say in California, uh, I'm house <laughs> poor and I have a poor house, but that's a whole nother story. No, a beautiful house. You're on a half acre. You've, I, yeah. I love your, your property. Yeah. It's, I love our property too. So, but anyway, it's, I don't want to sound too down about it. It's just, it's, <laughs> here, I'm depressed over here. JP. No, you shouldn't be. It's, you know, the hard thing about it is in, is that when you go through the downs, you, you've got to react more quickly, uh, get another stream of income going as fast as you can, and don't look back and think it's going to be the way it was. Because that's usually mm-hmm. going to take your energy away from uh, looking forward and figuring out what it's going to be. All right, guys. Well, I think we did good. Uh, that was fun for me. I think we're going to do this um, every once in a while. Every, every time I, I think uh, of something that I want to talk about, I'll pull some some of my favorite clips from previous episodes and we'll, we'll throw them in the podcast and do a little mashup. So everybody doing well? I, I hope so. Um, oh, what, are, what have I been working on? Uh, let's see. I just did a spot for Xien. It's like a, it's a clothing company. Um, that's, that's pretty big, I guess, uh, in China and Mexico and some, some other countries. It's pretty big here, but... Um, it was fun, man. We, we shot it on a uh, large format camera with anamorphic lenses and just got some really neat things. And then it, we did, they, they had like a big premiere. It was called Shen Fest. And, uh, and it like just, we had it play up on this massive screen. And anyway, anyway it, it was a, it was a blast. We were in one of those like uh, infinite led psych walls. Um, and they had, you know, live show. We had Nick Jonas and Tanache and some other artists and stuff. And, but anyway, um, great stuff coming up. I'm doing a SoCal gas commercial uh, or two in the next week. And then I'm off to do a film in uh, Salt Lake City in, at the end of May, early June. So lots going on. I'm, I'm excited to, to share the journey with you guys. So stick around and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah.